Welcome to Conductor's Brew. Hey, Matt, how you doing over there? Hi, Larry. I'm doing pretty good over here. I am enjoying my uh, cup of afternoon coffee. I needed it today, so I'll have some coffee to talk about. It looks like you've got a cup, too, because we're meeting virtually. We were trying to, to meet in the yard with your chimenea, but the weather's just eh. But, uh, but well, yeah, how are you? Well, the th- well right. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. But the weather was warm today, but the problem is it's the warm before the storm, as one of our local weather persons, uh, weather people here in Salt Lake likes to say. Um, yeah, it's almost 50 yeah, degrees, which is be, nice. It was supposed to be raining now, so really we could be out in the front yard. We could, but, but it, was, it was windy, uh, and that would have been bad for recording. Yeah. So we, we made the right call. Yeah, we made the right call to stay inside. But you know, uh, as soon as we can get back into the front yard, we're gonna have we're gonna have the siphon, the dueling siphons, because Matt, my siphon is up and running. Um, sadly, I have some very sad news. My Mister Coffee, my Mister Coffee, that is almost old enough to be a member of the United States Senate. You have to be thirty years old to be <laughs> in the United States Senate. Coffee maker is twenty seven years old. And it is no more. Uh, well, we're going to try and fix it. The heating element, I believe, broke on it. Halfway through brewing a cup of um, a, a pot of coffee. So I got half a pot, the last half a pot. Um, but as I mentioned before, my mom bought me a siphon coffee maker for Christmas. And I busted it out. And it's now my primary source of coffee, uh, which has allowed me to experiment. But I'm excited to bring it to the front yard so you can really show me how to do it correctly. I think it's going pretty good. I think I've, I've got a good plan but apparently there's multiple ways you can actually run the siphon if you will so we're gonna we're gonna have a little siphon demonstration taste test challenge the next time we can be in person together and maybe we'll get the crew together and we can have a a panel of judges and you know just completely nerd out with that but anyway we'll we'll address that another day but I, i do have some siphon coffee to talk to talk about with with you so i'm looking forward to that um so what are you what are you doing over there what are you drinking I am drinking actually a bag of Trader Joe's, which sounds sacrilegious, I know. I love Trader Joe's, all right? I'm just going to plug Trader Joe's. They have uh, little small lot bags. Uh, it's small lot, in, in meaning uh, it's uh, usually a smaller producer or a smaller grower, and uh, it's none of that bulk kind of garbage coffee <laughs> that you can find in most of the world. In fact, the vast majority of coffee... It's not really worth drinking. However, every now and then you find something that is just spectacular, and this is one of those. This is uh, it's a Rwandan, and it's a light roast, and it is remarkably jam-like. I oh. think it tastes like a mix between uh, blueberries and and raspberry jam. And and it sort of smells like a like a like a jelly donut, you know that sort of like baked uh, uh, fried uh, mm-hmm. dough oh, with, yeah. the, with the fruit in it. Oh, it's just the best. <sighs> so it, good. It's a unique smell. I've never smelled a coffee that smelled <clears throat> like a pastry. Uh, wow. And so I imagine it would be really really good with pastry. Or <laughs> you could just have it, it have it and then you pretend you're having a pastry. Well, that's true. You save no, calories the, the, that this, way. The smell of this stuff. I mean, as you're, I'm sure you're, you're discovering now with the siphon, the the siphon has a has a way of bringing out the the nuances in the in the bean, mm. in, in the roast, and and this is just this is good stuff. So, uh, happy to share that this is the Trader Joe's Rwanda, Simbi small lot light roast. Highly recommended if you can grab a bag of that. What are you drinking over there? Well, you, oh. First, I wanted to ask you. Yes. So, did you figure out the proportions? Have you been messing with the proportions of the coffee? Well, that we, this might have been an issue. I think. Well, that is what that is what I've been working on, and I think your advice you gave to me. So, what I have, and you'll discover when you see this, is it it comes with its own heating element. Like the pot sits on a, a electric heating element, and it automatically will shut off to allow for the um for the the coffee that's risen up inside the funnel to then fall back down. But what you suggested to me is that it should be a little bit less time. So I've been manually shutting it off after 2 minutes and I think it does taste better. So I've been I've been I've been following your advice, use a little bit more coffee but let it go for less time. Yeah. And I think I think that's been the secret. Um, well, but what, 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 what I wanted to do is is yeah. test it out with both of us using the same coffee and see if uh, if there's a difference oh, in flavor. Maybe we can make everything the same, like yeah. uh, all the same amount of water, same amount of coffee, same coffee. Yeah, that's, yeah, this like, is a great test. Sounds like Very science. Scientific. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it good, good science like. Um, yeah, my guess is that it, it maybe was over extracting the the beans a little bit. Could um, be. It, the, yeah, and that can make it turn kind of bitter and, and sort of sour and weird. Yeah, but the uh, thing is, I, I also don't have. I have the cheap coffee, so I'm not using well, the good stuff. I'm using good. But not as good as as what we could use. So I, I need some better things to work with. But it tastes very good. You're right about the nuance. It does bring out more flavor to it. But I had a, a question um, about this. Does when you rent, run coffee through a paper filter, does it take out something from from the coffee, not just flavor wise, but but maybe acid wise, that's actually a healthier thing for you? I'd heard that actually, somewhere. It, uh, you know, Do you know I anything don't about know- that? I don't know precisely the answer to that question. I do know that the acidity is actually a good thing. Uh, in most cases, uh, it enhances the flavor. It, mm. it makes it uh, – like when people think of acidity, they, they think of – maybe they're thinking of, of, of bitterness perhaps, but it's really not. It, it, acidity is kind of what gives it that that juicy kind of feeling where it, it's almost like you know when you bite into a, a really nice piece of fruit – it just fills your mouth with that that really kind of piquant fruity sweetness. That's the acidity that does that. And so ah. with the coffee, yeah, a lot of the times the 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 better the coffee, the more acidity you'll actually have. And the lighter the roast, certainly, the the darker the roast, the the more uh, heavy bodied it becomes, and the less acidic, and it becomes more of your typical sort of French roast or or burnt roast, as I like to call it. But um, <laughs> the paper filter, I do know, takes out a, it it. it strains out a lot of the oils from the beans. So mm. if you're if you're used to making French press, for instance, uh, the French press, you get a lot of sediment in the coffee, but also you see some oil floating on top. Usually you'll see, you know, that slight sheen. Uh, and, and so it feels different in the mouth too. It's got a different mouthfeel. And the paper filter gets gets a lot of that out. And so you end up with a really clean cup. Uh, the siphon... I find is sort of the middle ground of that. It shouldn't have any grounds in it, so to speak, but uh, it's designed so that you get um, pretty much all the extraction possible, uh, but it does go through the cloth filter. Uh, so the challenge then is to cl- keep the cloth filter clean. And, well, well, and well, yeah. Okay. I don't have a cloth filter. Oh, am I, I doing it wrong? See. Am I doing it wrong? I don't. It's possible. I, so I have a little, uh, little uh, thing in the bottom of the funnel, the top part, um, that clips, clips to the bottom, and like oh, spring holds it in place. And that's yeah. what it's in the manual was referred to as the filter. But I don't have a huh. cloth thing. Ooh, ooh! I might have to hack my uh, my siphon coffee maker to, to up, up its game. Well, how does it strain the grounds out? Does it does it strain this, the grounds adequately? Uh, yeah, there's there's a little bit of stuff in the bottom, a little sludge, uh, little sludge. Okay. So maybe so maybe the answer is no, it's not. Um, and I don't know. Wait. It's just a little plastic stopper thing on the bottom. Okay, I can't wait to see it. Okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do this upright and figure this out. All right. Okay. Yeah, I might have another cloth filter around. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, we'll talk. Oh, okay. We're, oh, yeah. we're going to figure this out. We're going to troubleshoot this, Larry. But we'll have we'll have to figure this out, uh, but also not take uh, forty five minutes of the show and doing it. So we'll. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's very important, you know. This is a high true. priority. Perhaps though, no, no, I, I jest. It's definitely not as important as our our guest today. We have oh, a yes, very special guest today. We do. We have we have a wonderful guest today. We have uh, Kim Sheree Lloyd, who is the uh, president of the College Orchestra Directors Association, also known as CODA. Uh, as well as the director of orchestras at the University of Louisville. So we're, we're really excited to have her on the show today. But before we get to her, um, Matt, I understand you have a nerd moment. And uh, uh, is it a celestial nerd moment, if I'm correct? It is. All right. Lay it on me, man. <laughs> Thanks for that intro. Uh, so I've been uh, doing a bit more reading than normal uh, recently. I've had the time, thankfully. And uh, I, I love to read. You know, my, As some of you may know, my... Uh, one of my day jobs is uh, part-time work at a wonderful city library here in Salt Lake. And uh, they uh, they just keep adding to the collection, of course. And I requested uh, that they purchase a book back in January. Well, I guess it's still January. <laughs> but earlier this month, uh, and they bought it right away. It's a new book um, called Extraterrestrial, The Search for or rather the first sign of intelligent life beyond earth. Whoa. Uh, and this is about uh, this object that came through the solar system in 2017. 
uh, which was dubbed Aumuamua. Uh, and I have yet to really dive into this book, but I read an article by the author Avi Loeb, Lieb, I'm not sure how to say his name, but he's a professor at the uh, University of Harvard, Harvard University, of course, and uh, is is making the case that we should not discount the possibility that this object was of intelligent origin from outside the solar system. It's clear that it came from beyond our solar system, that it's not bound to the sun's gravity like most comets. Interesting. And asteroids. Yep. And it left the solar system propelled by, uh, well, getting a boost from the sun as it normally would, but then did not um, did not leave in a trajectory that would suggest uh, or that shows that the, the object is in the sun's orbit. In fact, it it didn't act the way a comet should act or an asteroid should act. It didn't didn't give off material like a comet does. It didn't have a tail like a comet does. It wasn't outgassing like an asteroid does. And so this is uh, th- this author proposes one of two possibilities that this is a completely new type of uh, interstellar object that we don't know anything about, uh, and uh, all indications are that it's either really really flat and shiny or very very long and narrow and uh, and and sort of cylindrical, hmm. uh, or it is uh, some sort of device that was created by a an alien intelligence and would just happen to come through our solar system. But uh, hopefully I'll have an update for you in a week or so once I get into the thick of this. But Matt, if you um, discover life yeah. on other planets, break the news here first, okay? <laughs> Conductor's Brew is the place that's, for everything. EP. That's right. That's going to that's gonna put us over the top for downloads right there. <laughs> you heard it here first. No. That's right. Uh, this, is, this is great. But uh, yeah, check it out. Brand new, just published uh, this month, January 2021. That's that's fascinating. Well, you know, I mean, this this is this is usually headier fare than our podcast delves into, but it's um, you know, it's it's fascinating to think about, you know, I mean, just you think about the vastness of of the universe, right? And like, it, can, it can't just be us, right? It just doesn't seem like that would be possible. But you know, we yeah. don't have proof yet. But maybe maybe this well, was as, the first as, first sign. Carl Sagan, you're absolutely right. And as Carl Sagan said, uh, if if it's just us. Seems like an awful waste of space. <laughs> For those perfect. of you who have read or, or read the book or seen the film Contact, uh, that's a line from Contact. Is it now? Sagan book, great All book, right. by the way. Oh, okay. I have I have never read it. I think I I think I saw the part of the movie or something. I don't remember, but anyway, yeah, Matthew McConaughey and Jodie Foster yeah. in it, and James Woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Matt, that's a wonderful nerd moment, and like that's peak nerd right there. I mean, that's like you can't you can't beat that. And thank yeah. you for enriching our our fair city public library with a with a new title. So, if I wasn't if I wasn't a musician, uh, I, I might have been a snowplow driver, and if I wasn't a snowplow driver, I might have been uh, some sort of astrophysicist if I understood the math. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, a lot of math. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I think I topped out around uh, advanced algebra, and that was that's about as far as I went. So uh, astrophysics yeah, barely, is not in my. I, I'm right there with you. I, I, yeah. made it, I made it into the the um, algebra two class, which was extremely challenging, and and capped capped out uh, at um, uh, what was it? Not trigonometry, but precalculus. Ah, precalculus. Yeah. Yes, and I'm told that it really depends on your teacher. That you kind of have to be depending on the way you learn, it, it can make or break your understanding of calculus depending on how it's presented to you. Yes. Um, years after the fact, I've, I've since learned that calculus is really just another way of expressing certain things. It's just signs and symbols, just like most things. Uh, and I never learned that really. So I'm kind of catching up uh, in my spare time. And that includes uh, wondering and, and enjoying uh, fantasizing about the possibility of extraterrestrial life uh, because that's always been an obsession of mine. All right. Well, sounds sounds like we need a a book report uh, next next Done. week or next couple of weeks whenever you finish it. So yeah, I'll let you know when I get through it. I'm kind of one of those readers. Um, I'm sure you've seen that. Oh, maybe you have. There's this chart going around that it's a meme. It's it's got like nine panels. It's a cartoon, like a nine panel cartoon. Uh, of the different types of readers and you know one of them is like uh, a once at a time reader they finish one book they read one book at a time finish it and put it away and they don't even think about another book while they're reading that book then there's people that that dabble in this or that and just have books around um 
<clears throat> that's sort of my approach. I also just like to see books lying around. I'll just take them out of the library and, and put them somewhere and not even read them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then there, you know, it goes on and on. But anyway, that's, uh, uh, that's, that's my thing right now. I tend to do, if I do multiple, it'd be one fiction, one nonfiction. That's kind of, that's kind of how, if, if I do multiple, but I tend to be the, the one book at a time, uh, and just sort of sit with that book for a while. So I, you know, I, I get that. I, I am not that way with reading, but I am with film. I prefer, and interestingly, I prefer fiction film, you know, like, uh, I'm not huge into documentaries. I'll watch documentaries, enjoy them, but, um, I'd rather watch something that's not real <laughs> and read something that is real. Oh. I, I, I don't know why, but that's just kind of how my brain works, I guess. Yeah. Well, there you go. It takes all kinds, as they say. All right, Matt. Well, that that was an excellent nerd moment, but uh, um, I, like I said, I want to hear more about it as we go forward. Because if there's extraterrestrial life, uh, you know, I, I would like to, I would like to know about that. Um, uh, maybe they're hiring orchestras and conductors on their you know, spaceship. I would imagine somewhere out there there is an extraterrestrial, um, you know, Berlin Philharmonic or something that that's just dying for the next Simon Rattle, uh, and and who knows? It could be could be you, Larry. <laughs> you never know. You never know. All right. Well, Matt, let's get on. Let's get on to our guest. Um, I'm I am super excited to have uh, Kim Shree on the show today. Um, she has uh, been a wonderful colleague and friend over the years, and uh, um, is now, as I mentioned earlier, serving as president of the College Orchestra Directors Association, also known as CODA. So, if you would, Matt, please uh, introduce our guest for us. Absolutely, and it is my pleasure to introduce our our guest of the day. Uh, a guest of the week, I suppose. Uh, yeah, we only do this once a week, Matt. Like, pardon me. We only do this once a week. We, I guess it is once a week. We, we haven't. Uh, we've talked about this, but we can, <laughs> we can. We can talk later. You know, we can up it to uh, to biweekly or twice. Oh, a week. okay. We'll see. So yes, we're very very excited uh, for our special guest today. Uh, Kim Shuri is currently the director of orchestral studies and opera theater in the School of Music at the University of Louisville, uh, where she also teaches both graduate and undergraduate conducting courses and serves as uh, director of undergraduate studies. Uh, Professor Lloyd holds a bachelor and master's degree in piano performance from Eastern Michigan University, master's degree in orchestral and opera conducting from Louisiana State University, and was a member of the Apprentice Conducting Program in the School of Music at the University of Minnesota. She's worked with the Minnesota Orchestra and St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, Minnesota Opera, among many others. And we're very, very excited to have her on today. Kim Shree, thanks so much for being with us. It's a pleasure. I'm really happy to be here and excited to experience a podcast. Awesome. Well, we're... Well, Okay, you froze up for a second. Okay, we got you back. I'm here. Oh, this is this, this is this is one of the joys of doing this virtually. Yes, I know. I, you know, I, I was watching uh, MSNBC and people freeze up all the time. So you know, we're amongst good things. So yes, we're we're so glad to have you on the show, Kim Shree. I uh, was just reflecting with Matt before we started that I first met you in 2010 at the uh, Kennesaw State uh, Coda Conference. And you were giving a, a a panel, I believe, was it with, with your stage manager or whoever you collaborate with to do your operas. Um, and it was just very fascinating. And it really kind of uh, taught me a lot of good lessons about how to how to collaborate. So I, I've. Well, it, it, one of the one of the lessons is once you find someone with whom you can collaborate, keep them because he's still here. And oh, great. We are still collaborating. And so I think this is this will be year eight. It will be production number 18, so year 18. Wow. 18 different productions that we have done together at the University of Louisville. Well, that's that's wonderful because, yeah, yeah, having a good team and someone you can work with makes a huge difference. So the first thing I kind of yeah. I wanted us to dive into um, is is to talk about CODA. And um, it's an organization that I, I love. I've been a member since since 2009. Um, but if you would um, just talk a little about like CODA's history and how it got started and um, just just a little bit about what was what came. How did how did CODA come about? Well, the first official uh, national conference happened in 2004. And really what this was, if you're involved with music in academia at all, you know that, or actually, this actually holds true, uh, for any profession. You have professional organizations, uh, so that 
people doing the same sorts of things across the nation or internationally, whichever, can get together with other people that do the same thing. You can share ideas. And it's kind of like everybody in the room knows what everybody else in the room is talking about. Uh, and prior to 2004, you know, you had CBDNA for the for band conductors and you had ACDA for choir conductors. Um, the, I think Opera America was around around that time. So even opera in academia had at least some kind of place to go. But there was nothing like that for collegiate university orchestral conductors. And the, uh, the orchestra world and orchestra conductors are completely different fish than choral conductors or band conductors. These are three very different things. Now, we could all agree that conducting is conducting, period. That's true. But there are tricks to the trade, and there are idiosyncrasies with each ensemble. And one of the huge idiosyncrasies in um, orchestral conducting is why there is there are orchestras at the university level. Originally, they were started so that you could create a training ground for professional orchestra musicians and train them for professional orchestras. And so the conductors of those groups were also using the university orchestra as, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but a stepping stone to the next level, which is immediately professional conducting. So, and professional conductors um, kind of do their thing and don't require a group of like-minded souls um, to do their guest conducting or do their music directorships. Um, but in academia, where you're not just dealing with the ins and outs of orchestras and orchestra players, you're dealing with curriculum, you're dealing with academia, you're dealing with other faculty members, and all sorts of things that complicate the thing. So um, we desperately needed that, and CBDNA for band and ACDA for choral did not meet the need because our, our ensembles are very different and how we run them and what we do. Uh, so in 2004, um, we met for the first time uh, at the national conference. And I think there were 20 of us uh, in Cleveland in a room, in a circle. Talk about all the things that you think about, you know, maybe not in a positive way, but there we were in a circle sharing uh, and it was an epiphany. It absolutely was an epiphany because we were all speaking the same language. Uh, and from then on, it's just grown. I think we're, we're up over 360 some odd members. Uh, and we have members from R1 institutions, some of the big, some of the big guns uh, and everything all the way, all the way through to uh, liberal arts colleges who you know, their orchestras more specifically resemble the community type of orchestra. Uh, they don't really have music performance majors like we do. Well, they, they do, but it's, it's curricular-wise, it's different. Um, so this CODA became and would like to become the CBDNA, the ACDA of the orchestral collegiate conducting world. Uh, and And I'm excited to say... Thanks to COVID, um, we had an CODA had an opportunity to step up with our sister and brother organizations and be part of the probably the world's largest group of arts organizations that came to came together to initiate uh, scientific testing in the area of aerosols. So you know, that was a really wonderful moment in a really awful moment for me as the president of CODA because we were in a pandemic and who knows what we were going to do. But at the same time, I was actually contacted by CBDNA. The president of CBDNA said, would you like to participate? And I said, yes. So um, that's been a wonderful, 
next step forward uh, for CODA as we get bigger and and are able to participate in these times these type of things as a um, a more relevant organization. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead Matt. Yeah, that's, that's such a wonderful visual. The the twenty colleagues all needing this this same thing just in a circle. It, it's a it's a wonderful reminder of, of how some of uh, really our most cherished things now and our most vital resources start can often start with just a few really committed individuals and and to see it grow from there has been uh, been wonderful uh, I did want to ask what immediate benefits did you think you saw as as a result of this in 2004 like what how did that immediately impact the profession and what you and your colleagues do well you know it's very interesting I think we all walked away with um, gosh it's with ammunition because we could say when we went back to our our own institutions, if there was a situation, we could say, well, you know, the orchestra at X university is doing it this way, and the orchestra at X university does it this way, and I can reach out to my colleagues and get all this information for us to find a creative solution, which is in the re- which is in the realm of what we should be doing for orchestra. Those types of things. Um, also with uh, promotion and tenure. Prior, not 2004 necessarily, but it was worked on. I can't remember the year that the promotion and tenure documents came out. Maybe, Larry, you remember? I, I want to say that was when Ricardo was president. Yes. Uh, which yes. would have been 2012, 2013, maybe? Yep, that sounds just about right. Because prior to that, university orchestra directors were being evaluated in the same way that band directors are and choral directors when university orchestra directors, many of them, especially at the at the R1 and top tier schools, they also have um, semi-professional professional orchestra gigs and are away from campus. And so the so they're what we call here as research and um, creative work, their research and creative work needs to be looked at a little bit differently because Perhaps they're not writing articles in academic journals. Perhaps they're running a summer music festival. And so a great team of CODA members tackled this. And now we have these documents that, oh, my goodness, when I am asked for an external to be an external reviewer um, through that process, I send with my review those documents, usually to the dean who's requesting me to do the external review and say, oh, by the way, this is how you really ought to use, this This is how you ought to view what orchestral conductors do in academia. And these this set of documents will help you do that. And I have yet to have one dean not send, you know, deans, they can send paragraphs, um, paragraphs of Oh my goodness! Thank you. I had no idea. No idea this was out here. That makes our it puts everything into perspective. We now know what to do. Um, so, uh, I think the benefits of Coda, you know, have those are just some of them. But you know, just having um, a community of colleagues is also uh, really, really important uh, for us. We really. Um, when we have conferences, that's a big part of our conferences is getting together with our friends yeah, ab- uh, who happen to be colleagues. Yeah, Absolutely. And I, I want to talk about the upcoming conference in just a minute. But before we get to that, I mean, one of the things that I find so wonderful about CODA is, is, all, is all of the resources that are available. And, uh, I mean, you mentioned a few, but we also have the Boeing's library. Uh, we have the, the listserv where people can, you know, put up questions. And there's always these great conversations that happen on the listserv. Uh, and I've learned so many things over the years just, just by reading that. So, um, th- th- those kind of resources have gradually evolved over the years. Do you have anything in your mind, um, in terms of what other kinds of resources might CODA explore into the future? That, that we that we might be able to add to what we already do. Well, you know, I think, as you know, when I ran to be the vice president of CODA, which is the start of one becoming president, one of the things that I wrote in my little blurb of one of the ideas that I had was to involve 
our student conductors more and have CODA not only be, be a community for the, uh, the professors or the directors of the orchestras, but also perhaps be a community for those interested in doing what we do. Uh, and so I have put together, I'm, I'm, I'm starting by, and of course it was supposed to be in our in-person conference in Louisville, uh, but we are virtual, but putting a student um, conference within the bigger conference, something that is focused on the student experience that talks about conducting for those students that have just taken the conducting class, talking about score study, talk about talking about Boeing's, just putting something in there for them, because I've always thought that, you know, when you go to ACDA and CBDNA, there are students there. And the students, you know, uh, ha all of our band students go to Midwest as part of, you know, being in the band uh, area and as part of CBDNA. And they're all wanting to go to these conferences uh, and CODA for a, a, a for most of it has maybe one or two students come. And I wanted to expand that. And um, also that's going to help everybody in CODA because many of us have master's degree programs in conducting and some of us have um, doctorate degree programs in conducting. And if we can begin to um, cultivate within our own community, that would be terrific. Uh, so we're doing that for the virtual symposium on a very, you know, small level. And hopefully that will teach me some things so that when we get to the in-person conference in 2022, I can expand this out um, a little bit and have a growing number of students of CODA members participate. Yeah, I I think I think that's been a wonderful thing. We, we've had the the workshop, of course, as part of the conference mm -hmm. for the uh, for the uh, for the student conduction. I know Matt, you 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 said you participated that in the, when you were in in the Salt Lake conference. Is that right? Yes. Which yeah. Is, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. I think was that 2016 winter. Yeah. Twenty sixteen. I've got the poster right behind wow. me, Matt. In case you need to oh be my reminded, goodness. it is right there. I, I can't is. believe it's been that long. How time flies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's always been a, a fun thing. Uh, and as as an observer, you know, because the uh, you know the 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 non student members of CODA, uh, faculty members, I suppose, you know, we usually watch those sessions and, and I learn things about conducting technique, just observing. So it's, it's, it's rewarding for everybody. So let's go ahead and, and move on and, and talk a bit about the conference and how things are going to go this year. Obviously, as you, as you said, we have to be virtual and, um, and, uh, I was looking, looking forward to being in Louisville this year, but, uh, maybe again next time. But, uh, anyway, tell us, tell us what, what the plans are. What can we expect? Okay, well, so um, it, it's very interesting. I will share with you that when we had uh, the executive committee of the board meeting talking about what we're going to do, you know, because we had to figure out what you're doing in a pandemic and you have to figure out if you're going to postpone or what are you going to do. And it was very interesting. And if I think about it, I think that the I, ha I have to be careful how I say this. Um, we can edit it out if we need to, Kim Shuri. Here's the thing. Here, <laughs> let me first start by saying this. Another thing that I want to do uh, as president is get a lot more um, of the regional leaders involved in what we do. I think it's much more important. So I'm planning a get-together that um, hopefully – it's looking like August because um, we've got to get away from COVID uh, and, but where all the leadership can get together, the executive committee of the board, the, the um, presidents of the regions. And actually I'd like to expand it out to all the leadership of the regions because at the end of the day, those are the future leaders of the executive committee of the board. So, and, and just, you know, these are all growing pains. You know, we're getting bigger and we're getting older and we're getting wiser. CODA is, and we need to, you know, step up. So having said that, I can also say that a lot of the regional leadership is, they are not members of my generation, I'm happy to say. 
they're probably members of your generation. Yeah, I'm I'm one of them. So yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like notice how I'm tippy toeing around this, but anyway. So the executive committee of the board is probably closer to my generation. Uh, and having said all of that, when the idea of a virtual, uh, like uh, virtual conference. By the time that was being talked about, boy, that we, we already had like Zoom fatigue and all of that kind of stuff. And they were reticent to say, that's what we want to do. We, instead of having the in-person conference, we're going to have a virtual one. They were willing to say, in lieu of having the conference, because we're postponing it by one year, Yes, let's try something in that space. So that's kind of how it came about. And also there was this recognition, uh, and Larry, you're knowing about this very well, for at least the members that have been, you know, the members that have been around since close to the beginning, getting together face-to-face, usually over cocktails, um, is an integral part of a CODA conference. Um, so not being able to do that in person just didn't ring as with it. It didn't ring. It didn't resonate with them uh, with a lot of enthusiasm. So I kind of had to do a little bit of, okay, let's try this. So we came up with a virtual symposium which is just smaller. And all of that said, I also, in terms of all of this online stuff, you know, this is 58 and I don't know what I'm doing, but we're doing it. Uh, and so, um, so we're, it's smaller. It's just smaller. And luckily Chris Dobbins is now my best friend. I'm going to put him in my will. <laughs> um, he is stepping up with yeah. his students and they're running it. Because they can't, they know how to do that. He's one of those younger leader types. Yes, Chris yeah. is a force of nature. That's for sure. He is, and so we are going to start Thursday night with a famous Coda cocktail half hour, uh, and then I'm going to have some opening remarks. We're going to go over the schedule, kind of figure out, you know, kind of give everybody an overview, and then then our first concert of recorded music. We did a we did a call for recorded music. Um, from the code of membership. So we're going to have that opening night on Thursday night. There'll be an hour of that recorded um, music. Each piece will be introduced, uh, of course, virtually um, by the conductor. Uh, so we'll do about an hour of that. And we're going to do it on a YouTube channel so that there can be a chat going. I sound like I know what I'm doing, don't I? Yep. No, I lifted this. Chris told me what to say. Um, <laughs> so there'll be a chat. And, and while it's running, uh, and we all can enjoy the music of our colleagues. And what's really interesting, uh, because there's been some talk and we'll see, there's been a suggestion that we make this actually a permanent part of the conference. Because many orchestras that otherwise couldn't travel, right, for nine million different reasons, lots of them having to do with dollar signs, um, this allows our CODA members to have their ensembles heard, Right. Uh, and to share. And that's probably one of the biggest things about CODA is that we share. Uh, so we'll begin on Thursday night with that. And then Friday morning, actually starting late-ish, because we understand that there are people like you all that are over there. <laughs> that's the true. We, the coffee, coffee clatch will start at 9.30 Eastern time, which is what, 7.30? That's not too bad. Um, and we will start at 10 o'clock with presentations and we have six, six or seven presentations that will run on Friday. We'll take a lunch break. We will not have concurrent sessions. It's one session at a time and boy, there's some interesting stuff. Uh, and then about midway through Friday afternoon, what will happen concurrent is the opening of the student part. Um, and I, we'll do some remarks there and then Diane Wittry. Uh, is going to talk about baton basics. 
Um, I have some surprise CODA members going to talk uh, that are going to talk about score study. Uh, and then there are two student presentations that made it in. So they will do their presentations. And then I thought we're, I'm trying to get organized a roundtable discussion of conducting students led by graduate conductors involving undergrads who hope to be there, etc. Um, that'll go all the way up until I think on Friday, cocktails start at six. And yes, I did do the schedule based on when the cocktails would start. <laughs> um, you know, priorities. Yeah, no, maybe it's 630. Um, and so we'll have cocktails and then at seven o'clock we'll have our second concert. Uh, Saturday morning, um, we will start again with a few presentations, but then we'll go, um, back into the student part um, with some repertoire discussion with our guest uh, conducting our maestro, Tim Muffet, who ha- who was my conducting teacher at Louisiana State University. That's kind of that connection. Um, and he's, he's a very interesting guy. Um, I once asked him long ago, this is like in the 90s, if you hadn't been there, what would he have been? And he said, a truck driver. So this will make for very interesting conversation. He's a very interesting guy. So he's going to do some, uh, uh, he's going to speak on the repertoire that the student videos, uh, that the students have set in for their videos. We have enough students that have applied to have, I haven't heard for sure from the committee, but I think at least three conductors work with Tim in that virtual session, because we're virtual, because we're not um, having an orchestra have to sit there, we might increase that number. But the quality level of all of the conductors that have applied is pretty good. So we're opening up uh, a, some virtual sessions to kind of a panel of CODA, CODA member conductors to look at some of the videos that didn't make it into the master class. Does that make sense? Yeah. It was a kind of a convoluted way to say it. Um, so we'll do that. That'll go, you know, from about two to four at four o'clock. We're going now this, I'll be really honest right now. I haven't made the final decision on this one. I don't know whether to have just a leadership meeting or a full membership meeting. I haven't decided that. Um, For sure, I want all the leadership there. Whether or not we need to have a full, I don't know how a full membership meeting would go um, virtually. Um, And then, oh, I forgot to say earlier, at the lunch hour on Saturday, we'll do the regional meetings. Mm -hmm. They'll break out and have their meetings. So we'll have this full, we'll have some kind of membership meeting. I've not decided I can't decide. Larry, if you have any opinions, feel free to share. Um, and then, let's see, where are the four or five? And once again, then we'll have our cocktail hour and the final concert, and then we're done. Yeah. So kind of a mini, without a lot of bells and whistles. I've, I've looked at a lot of virtual con- uh, conferences and decided not to do bells and whistles because it wasn't about the bells and whistles. It's about us connecting and about getting the students um, connected with us, with our membership, and having an experience. So we're so hopefully, my fingers crossed, but I think so. Um, everybody will gain from from the experience, and it's not so long that you're stuck in front of your computer, you know, for nine hours. Yeah. Well, well it may sure- not be the, the traditional in-person meeting, uh, but it sounds very substantial. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, just to just to let everybody know when that is happening, that the dates again are, are yes. Thursday, February 11th through mm-hmm. Saturday, February 13th. Correct. And that free Dakota members. Uh, and yeah. how do we uh, how do we attend? Is this? I imagine this will this is all this information is all sort of pending. But it sounds like it's going to be like one mass email link, perhaps. No, no, no. It's going to be up on the website, and there will okay. be a link. Ah, great. Dobbins is working on this yeah. as we speak. Great. Okay. Oh, that'll, be, that'll be 
Yeah, we can just go straight to the CODA website, uh, which is... And you'll just is... click on the link, and it'll open things like magic. It's magic. There's magic dust on the website. <laughs> and, um, this is, you know, I, well, this is 58, and I don't know what I'm talking about. And that's what it seems like to me. But we'll go there, and you click, and we're in the on the appropriate day. You'll have the appropriate um, uh, place to be in the ether there. Uh, and we'll all get together. It'll, well, it'll that sounds adventure. amazing. Yep. Definitely. Well, you know, since we're singing the praises of Chris Dobbins, uh, you know, one of the things, as you mentioned, is so wonderful about the CODA conference is, is getting together and hanging out. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we're obviously not going to be able to do it like we normally did. But those uh, CODA happy hours that I think, if I'm remembering correctly, it was sort of Chris's brainchild. It was. Uh, he just suggested it. And boy, howdy. I am not above stealing ideas from colleagues, but I didn't steal it. I always give him the credit. Yeah. Uh, but it was a wonderful way to keep us, you know, to keep us um, thinking positively as we move forward through this extraordinarily uncharted time. And you know, it really because, it, like, when I when I go to the conferences and I see I see my my friends, you know, and, and it's like we mm-hmm. no time was lost. You know, I, I absolutely love that that part about Coda. You know, you catch up and talk about it. And then when we had that first happy hour and I saw everybody's face, and I'm like, yeah, this is just you know, like catching up with your friends. So, you know, but the, the point I was making is that though it'll be virtual, those happy hours show we can still have that camaraderie um, through a virtual format. So I'm, I'm very excited to do it. And, uh, you know, and next year we'll, we'll hit up, we'll hit up the thirsty peddler in Louisville next year, you know, so we'll. Well, we'll boy, howdy. There are lots of places and I keep looking. I keep looking up down when I drive through downtown Louisville to go, you know, I'm looking at the hotels, like which one is going to come back and, you know, um, you know, whether we, whether I go for one of the more historic hotels or the brand new spanking brand new ones, or, you know, there's so much to do when Louisville, when we're not in a pandemic and we're not in all of this other stuff. um, Louisville is a great place. uh, And, and easy to get around in. Uh, so I'm very anxious for us to get get back to that in person and to welcome everybody here. Me too. Well, speaking of Louisville, I wanted to kind of wrap up our uh, our interview with you. And, and again, thank you so much for, for spending the time with us today. But just, you know, if you would talk a little bit about what, what you've been doing um, at your university, you know, with COVID or, or anything else, just how, how has this year been for you? Well, you know, it's, it's uh, let's see. I think that I would be remiss if I didn't say it's a roller coaster on a daily basis. But, but um, I have fabulous ensemble director colleagues, um, even the ones that we've butted heads in the past. The, this pandemic thing, and you know, you, you ensemble directors have to butt heads because you're because you're advocating for your ensemble, and that's what we're supposed to do. So that so. I conflict is an okay thing in my book, um, but we've come together um, to kind of figure out a plan uh, when we knew exactly what we were going to be allowed to do. Unfortunately, the choirs still are not allowed to do anything inside. The fall for the choirs was outside or in the parking structure. Um, they had a concert in there. Uh, and once it is cold, there is snow on the ground here. <clears throat> and so um, they have been mostly hybrid. We started back in on January 11th, and they've, I think it's been temperate enough to maybe have two rehearsals in the parking garage for them. Uh, but they've been hybrid. Um, we do allow one singer at a time in studios or little bigger spaces. And in our concert hall, we allow three. So the opera program, uh, we were, uh, we did dumpster opera last semester because we were out (laughs) the back door by the dumpsters. Wow. Um, And so we had dumpster opera, right? Um, Seems appropriate for 2020. I don't know. Exactly. No, but they yeah, they even had to put an electrical outlet so we could plug in a keyboard. And we had tents. You know, that was the way in which we, the School of Music, did. we had 
tents that everybody was under if you had to be outside. So um, this semester, because of the cold, um, is a little different. The orchestra, um, we use m many rooms. We are doing 30 on, 30 off if we have wind players. Um, my first concert in September was a strings-only concert, and boy, howdy, was that easier to rehearse um, than what I'm doing now, which is a Beethoven Symphony of Mozart overture, a uh, brand-new overture, um, some uh, brass Gabrielli, and there's something else. Oh, the string um, arrangement of uh, Florence Price's Adoration. Um, and so, you know, mixing all of this in, on our stage, I can put 40 players um, total. So I can have the full string section, or I can have a reduced, a reduced cello and bass section with winds and brass. So that's what we do. So we're sticking to the kind of classical um, period. Uh, maybe early romantic. I've got, and I've only got two concerts this semester, which is, um, you know, usually I have one a month, uh, but our first concert is coming up on February 7th. And then we'll have another one on March 13th uh, and trying to incorporate the brass. Uh, but my, but I have to keep those numbers very low. And in the concert hall, I can have 40 on stage, but I'm only allowed to have 50 total. So when you add my assistants, my three assistants, four, four assistants, um, that's what, 44? So I can have six people in the audience. <laughs> not, not, not a packed house. <laughs> no, and they have to be in the balcony, which is weird. So um, because all of the air vents that are pulling the air and the aerosols are under the seats of the audience. Mm. So we've, we've learned a lot. We have a wonderful um, person that does the aerosols for the university, uh, a scientist who's been, Torsten Hopp is his name. He's been wonderful. He's really helped us. So we're doing that. And then in opera, oh, this is going to be fun. We're doing a mashup. Uh, we will, uh, let me back up for a minute. Kind of put on top of, the pandemic COVID thing and restriction is the whole rights and synchronization thing. Uh, and so, you know, all of that combined, I must say that our administration and school of music is flummoxed. And so we're moving ahead kind of slowly. Um, but with opera, there's not a lot that you can do necessarily. Right. So what we're doing is, Three Mozart operas, Figaro, Cosi, and Flute, mashed together in the time of COVID. And Despina and Tamino have been thrown out of this black hole of COVID into where all of these operas are mashed up. And they're, A, making sure everybody is properly distanced. <laughs> Uh, and trying to get back to their operas. Oh my goodness! Yeah, no, this was we were crazy because we're because the music is kind of done. There are a bunch of arias that we learned last semester from you know from all three, and then I've added some small ensembles and the finale. The finale of the whole thing is the finale of Figaro, and so and and we're doing this on an athletic field. All right. <laughs> and actually, we may even get Cardinal Stadium. Oh, wow. wow. So that we can be outside, that we can have an audience. And the cool thing is Despina, and I can't remember what we're really calling her, but she is was originally the Despina. Um, she will be, she and uh, the Tamino will be dressed as referees and have whistles and red and yellow cards for when they're, when the distance is not good. I mean, you know, it's all kinds of silliness, but at the same time, it's three Mozart operas, you know, sublime music. Um, I, I'm thinking that I might be able to put it to make two 
orchestras. So we might have competing orchestras in time of COVID. It's going to be, it's going to be crazy. I'll let you know how it goes. That is amazing. The people were so excited. They're like, oh my gosh, we can, you can, you can, we can have opera. You know, I mean, because what we do to anybody that doesn't do what we do, it's like magic. Mm -hmm. So we're still working on this. As you can see, where the music is working, we are writing a lot of the dialogue. And another thing that's really, I think, a positive out of this is that the students, we will figure out scenes between all these characters and they're playing their characters. Um, we're incorporating a lot of um, improvisation for their their scenes in the dialogue. And so we're having we're doing a lot of improv sessions where they find who their characters are, they find what they're gonna say, and then we'll solidify it at the end. So that's a real interesting teaching tool for singer actors. It's something that actors do, but we have this is the first time we're able to work it in in this fashion. It's, it's that's amazing. It sounds it sounds like despite all the the craziness with with dealing with COVID, that this is actually a unique opportunity to maybe do some really uh, interesting interdisciplinary things, and and even perhaps in front of an outdoor audience. It sounds like which is yes, with the, the, our dream, and we don't know if this is going to happen. But what we would love if they give you know who knows if we get the stadium. You know, there's the jumbotron. So oh, wow. if we did, you know, close-ups, right? I mean, wouldn't this be incredible? This that, I mean, this sounds amazing. We're dreaming what it's going to end up. You know, we're just we're just going to see what we end up with, and what we end up with is going to be brilliant. But you know, between Mike and and uh, me, this you know, the ideas that are endless of the silliness and the kind of very cool um, theatrical elements that we can throw in here are, you know, they're endless. <laughs> so we, we just found out two days ago that athletics is on board with finding us a spot. So this has been the best news of the, of this semester. So well, that that's amazing. Well, when this all happens, we're going to have to have you back on the on the podcast to to talk about how that ended, how that all worked out, because that's that's just an amazing, uh, really creative, really inter sounds like really entertaining way to uh, make some lemonade out of some lemons. Uh, Just wonderful. Yep, that's what I've been talking about. We are making the 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 best lemonade ever on the planet in the School of Music. Yeah. We are doing that. And, you know, we I will admit that at the, at the beginning of the fall, you know, there's all this energy. And then there was in the back of our head that we're going to get closed down in two weeks. And we didn't. And we we you know, we got to the end of the semester and everybody was exhausted. We had a nice long break and came back. But, you know, those of us that have had a good part of their life make as a musician, not in COVID, so that the percentage of our life in music in COVID is this big compared to, you know, everything. but for students, undergraduates and graduates, in terms of their lives as musicians, as professional or being trained as musicians, you know, this is a much bigger part of that. And I am seeing them become weary Mm. in a way, you know, music school tends to beat the music out of you anyway, right? We've (laughs) all been there. Um, But this is just a little bit different. So we're trying to have a lot of grace um, in with students and, you know, we have to anyway, because we never know who's going to be in rehearsal, what for quarantine and all that other kind of brouhaha. Right. So, this project for the singers who have not been allowed to sing inside is extraordinarily important. And I think that moment when fingers crossed, we're actually in the space outdoors on the field. That sounds weird um, with the orchestra and they start singing and we start making music in that way. I think 
it will be extraordinary. So we're bound and determined we're going to get there with this big Mozart mashup. Well, will it be live streamed? I'd, I'd love to see that. Yeah, you have to. Ta- well, how can we see it? It'll be live streamed or videotaped. Okay. So uh, you know that will absolutely. I would be. It would be monumental to have it live streamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we'll just you know we'll just kind of see. I know you know we'll see. They don't even yeah. have title for the thing. You know, I keep calling it this big Mozart mashup. Yeah. Um, but, literate. Literate. You know, it works. Somebody, well, was, yeah. somebody was saying co- COVID fontute. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. Yeah. Oh, that my goodness. a little on the nose for me, but hey, yeah. what do no, I know? You know, that's what we keep saying when we're talking about it, we're like, okay, it's too soon. It's too soon. Yes. Um, so it's it's just a little crazy. We're, we, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Well, you know, well, we'll we'll keep our eyes out, and we'll we'll certainly promote it here on the pod. Uh, once we have we have some information. Well, Kim Shree, I I again, I really appreciate your time and all of your leadership of Coda and your friendship over the years. And uh, we're we're really looking forward to the to the virtual conference this year and being in person uh, next year. So uh, again, our guest today has been Kim Sheree Lloyd, uh, president of the College Orchestra Directors Association and, of course, director of orchestras at the University of Louisville. Kim Sheree, thanks so much. And uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll see you virtually in February. Yes, you will. Absolutely. You need to be there and you have to be at the meeting. So oh, I'm I'll, telling you that right now. All right. I'll um, be there as, as president-elect of the West. I'll, I'll be wherever I need you, to be. You need to be there. Yeah. No, well, this has been a joy. You know, uh, it's just, it's terrific. And, it, and, you know, and one of the things that I find is, you know, we're all doing our thing. And when we actually get to talk about what, what it is we're doing, it, it rejuvenates it. Right. Because we're so in it that we see all the, you know, oh my, oh my gosh, but you all aren't in it and you're going, yeah, that's really cool. And it, it's rejuvenating. So thank you. I appreciate it. If I could ever do that for you, please don't hesitate to call. Absolutely. Well, thanks, thanks so, much, so much, Tree. And uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Pleasure talking with you. Thanks for being with us. Today. Yep. Nice to see you, Matthew. All right. Well, of course, the maestro means it is time for the rant. But before we get into that, Matt, I just again want to say how how wonderful that interview was with Kim Cherie. Um, she's a she's a real asset uh, to Coda, and I'm sure she is to her students as well. So we we again really thank her for her time today and uh, and uh, you know sharing sharing her thoughts with us today. But anyway, Matt, it's time for your rant. What do you got? I have. Uh, a bit of uh, a cyclical theme today. We, you know, we started with coffee. I'm going to end with coffee. I have a bit of a coffee-related rant. Mm-hmm. So, not surprised you know, at all. <laughs> it's it's been on my mind recently. Some days it's not. Some days it is. Today, I was thinking how nice it would be to have a bag of coffee, really good coffee, that tastes the same the whole time you're enjoying the bag of coffee. Mm. I don't know about you, but have you, I mean, for me, when I buy a really good bag of coffee, that first opening mm. of it is just, you know, the nitrogen flush most of the bags, so there's no oxygen in it. Basically, as soon as you expose the beans to oxygen, they start to deteriorate. They lose right. a lot, I think. So anytime I open a, a brand new bag, it's a special occasion, and it's never like, it's never that way again. It never tastes the same way again. So this this Rwanda that I'm drinking, it it in particular did this i i found so um so my rant is that <laughs> i really wish we had a way to make coffee last forever you know when we buy bags of coffee at the grocery store we think oh it, you know it's fresh well actually coffee is really meant to be drunk within a few weeks of it being roasted depending on what you're using it for if you're if you're making espresso there's theories that you should let it out gas a little bit longer in, in other words uh um let it uh aerate a bit longer so that mm-hmm. it doesn't create as much foam in, in espresso. But, but for your regular old coffee drinking stuff, it doesn't really matter so much. So I found that when I opened this bag of Rwandan from Trader Joe's, it was just the most delightful heavenly scent I have ever smelled in a bag of coffee. And I've had a lot of good coffee and the next day didn't smell half as good. Oh. It was really disappointing. Yeah. So if any of you geniuses out there have an idea about how to fix this, 
then you will never have to hear me rant about it ever, well, ever again. You could just sell them in like little tiny bags, you know, little little mini bags. Like what? But I mean, that's that gets into a lot of waste. So that's oh, kind of well, not that's, cool. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, like if we could sell sell you know little perfect curry cups or whatever, but that's a whole different thing. I'll never buy a curry machine. Yeah, sorry, curry owners. I just I have I have. Well, that's a lot of waste. A lot of waste. Ethical there. considerations, environmental considerations with those yeah. all the plastic. You know, I feel that bad the, buying a bag. Yeah, we want to we want to reduce we want to reduce waste. We want to you know make sure that your your coffee plan, uh, if we make it happen, is is is, uh, is is environmentally sound. So a way to seal up individual little pieces of of coffee servings. But doesn't create a lot of extra waste. If you can figure that out, Matt Manella will be forever in your debt. I'd love to know. Okay. All right, Matt. Well, that's that's an excellent rant for sure. And, um, you know. <laughs> I don't know about that. But. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's one that could 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 uh, yield uh, positive results for humanity. So there you go. Yeah, we'll see. It's better um, than just know, complaining we, about traffic. You know, we put out <laughs> we, we put out a call for scores, calls for scores every now and then. I'm putting out a, a call for um, coffee bean preservation Im- improvement products. There you go. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, Matt, thank you so much for another great show, um, and uh, thank you again to Kim Cherie for coming on the show. She's a she's a wonderful person uh, and was a wonderful guest. And uh, everybody out there, um, check out the Coda Conference. If you're not a member of Coda yet and you're in the orchestra music world, you really should be. Uh, Coda is a great organization. I've been a member of it since, as I mentioned, since 2009, and it's played a, uh, a major role in my career. It's actually how I met uh, Dr. Baldwin. I met him at the Coda Conference in Chicago back in 2012, and that's how I learned about the program here in Utah, and you know, the rest is, as they say, history. So it's a wonderful resource. It's a wonderful um, a way to connect with colleagues and um, it's a good way to develop your career. So there's my pitch for Coda. It's uh, It's been a big part of my life. So I'm looking forward to seeing all my old friends over Zoom this February at the conference um, and hopefully in person soon enough. So thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. And uh, until next week, this has been Conductor's Brew. Thanks, Matt. Well, you, you sounded really, really cheery about that. You know, if you like it, please subscribe. <laughs> hey, oh. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Well, Matt, guess what? You get to do that part of the show from now on. Hey, you if you like more... the show, please subscribe. We'd love to have hey, you. Hey, everybody, hit that subscribe button. There you go. Come on. I need a hype man. I need some like air horns or something like that. Doot, doot, doot. No, forget it, forget it. Yeah, no. we need to wrap this up, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wouldn't be a show if we didn't devolve at some point, so yeah. there you go. All right, well, anyway, yes, thank you so much, Matt. It's been a wonderful show, and I will see you next week. <laughs> Good to see you, Larry. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time.